0: Chatty AF, the Anime Feminist Podcast. I'm Dee Hogan, a writer and editor for Anifem, as well as the owner of the anime blog The Jose Next Door.
1: Hi, I'm Vry, I'm a contributor and editor at Anime Feminist. I'm also on Twitter at Writer or you can find me all over the internet by googling Vry Kaiser.
2: I'm Peter Phobian, I'm an Associates Features editor at Crunchyroll and a contributor and editor at Anime Feminist. My Twitter is at Peter Phobian.
0: And uh, we also have a special guest joining us this week. Hi,
3: my name is Natasha. You also may know me as Illegins on Twitter. Uh, I am a writer for the blog Isn't It Electrifying? And um, I'm very happy to be here to be joining all these wonderful people.
0: We Glad are to have excited you. to have you as well. Yeah. <laughs>
1: um,
0: and today we are going to be talking about the ambitious, flawed, stunningly animated, and delightfully gay coming-of-age series Flip Flappers. Yes. Woohoo! Just uh, to give you guys some quick background information before we get started, uh, Flip Flappers is an original series from uh, the Studio 3HZ. They're a pretty new studio. I guess their most well-known work before this would be Dimension W, um, which probably not a lot of people really think about anymore. Um, It's directed by Oshiyama Kiyotaka, who has mostly worked on key animation before this project and unsurprisingly did a lot of the key animation for Flip Flappers as well. Um, And normally with these intros, I don't go too deep into the staff credits, but uh, the design of the alternate worlds in this show are just so good that I do have to give a shout out to Tanu, who handled the concept art, um, and they killed it, so well done. Um, And then uh, as far as synopsis goes, for those of you who maybe need a refresher since this show aired in the fall, or if you've not seen it before, uh, the series follows two adolescent girls, Kokona and Papika, as they journey through pure illusion and collect fragments known as amorphous, which are supposed to grant wishes. Uh, The story spirals into a lot of exciting directions, both in terms of character development and plot twists, and we are definitely going to spoil the hell out of it for you. So if you haven't seen the show yet, you have now been warned. And that's pretty much everything I have as far as the introduction goes. So um, I guess to start off, let's just kind of give a brief overview of... um, everyone's sort of, uh, personal reaction and interactions with the series, like, did you watch it week to week, did you binge it, uh, what drew you to it, um, and uh, during this, feel free to plug any writing you did on it as well.
1: You wanna go first? You did, like, this show was your life for a little
0: while. It was, that's true. Uh, yeah, I can, I can start. Um, I picked this one up and did weekly commentary for it, um, on Anime Evo, and it was kind of a gamble because I really liked what it was doing, but there were so many kind of pieces up in the air after three episodes that i genuinely didn't know if it was going to be able to pull them all together or if it was just gonna fall off a cliff or end up just being a lot of cool stuff that didn't mean anything um thankfully that was not the case and my kind of like instinct that there was something there wound up being true so i had a really good time with it a lot of things to talk about in terms of like analysis and then just kind of a nice straightforward emotional story about some girls growing up and um and the, their developing relationship. Um, it wound up making my top five for 2016, and I named it my problematic fave recommendation for uh, anime feminists um, as well. So, yeah, definitely a series uh, that I am very positive about. I, I watched it this week. <laughs>
1: oh, wow. <laughs> it- <laughs> yeah, it's a right um... newcomer. Well, because when it was airing, I knew that D was covering it and that was probably a pretty good mark in its favor because she tends to pick shows that are at least interesting, if not always ultimately successful. And, and then after it was done airing, literally everyone I knew was like, hey, this, is, this show checks off everything on the list of things that you like. It's very surreal and gay and weird. <laughs> uh, and so then I said, you're right, I should watch that. And then I didn't. <laughs> for until i had to for this podcast because i'm very bad about starting things um i really no, really actually, liked that's, it
3: that's that's really interesting because um i think out of all of us you're probably the only one who's marathoned it i'm, I'm assuming because i know um i watched it week to week and then i think mm-hmm. peter also might have watched it week to week but no, that's actually really yep. cool. Um, I wonder.
1: Yeah, the back half the, the back half is definitely better for binging than the first half, where it's more ap- episodic adventures and pure illusion. Um, it did. There, there's something I do want to talk about on that front. Where me watching it as it binged led to one thing that twigged me kind of weird and sent me spiraling off into an odd direction as to how I was supposed to read things. But it didn't ruin the show for me. I thought it was still a very sweet, successful romance that gave me many feelings.
2: I I guess I watched the preview when it was coming out uh, before fall season started and I just had a really good feeling about it. I I couldn't really tell you what it was. Just maybe the animation or I guess they showed some like of the backgrounds that they were putting together. Um, I just like I kind of had this like feeling that it was going to be really good and then I watched the show and uh, I guess I I feel I was right. Uh, It was... Really amazing show. I, I uh, studied psychology in college, and they have a lot of, like, uh, Jungian kind of, like, uh, cognitive spaces, uh, collective unconscious kind of ideals in the show, which uh, that my the part of me that likes psychology really enjoyed that aspect of the show. Mm-hmm. And the, then the, like, overall narrative uh, is kind of like the, the self-actualization, deciding to live kind of thing that really resonated with me. Uh, I feel like it shares a lot of the same themes as Evangelion in that respect with Shinji's journey so uh it kind of just hit a lot of things that i really enjoy about storytelling and themes and had gorgeous backgrounds which i'm also i i have a couple gigs worth of those on my computer so um yeah i just i really 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 loved flip flappers and i was watching it week to week Uh, i wrote two articles for crunchyroll and i have a third somewhere um
3: for me i actually also watched the preview uh it was vague enough that um i thought it would be interesting to watch but i also didn't know what direction it was going to go in um mm-hmm. it was also at a very busy and very good season of anime so i actually didn't watch it until i think i think like the fourth or fifth episode had been airing by the time i actually started it um mm-hmm. it was on my list to watch but i just never got around to watching it until a lot of people were like this is very much your thing and um I highly recommend it and you know I decided to give it a try and uh I ended up like binge watching the first like four or five episodes. It was, it
0: was... I think I remember your Twitter reactions um I think I remember enjoying those on. They,
3: they were pretty good I mean it it consistently got gear, which is always a good thing in my book personally <laughs> speaking um but I really I I really loved um how like i mean everything from the, the beautiful studio pablo backgrounds to the animation but also to just the way um it handled a lot of interesting concepts you know as peter uh, mentioned there's a lot of psychology stuff going on uh, there was some excellent posts about like art theory um that was really good for me it was more of the emotional core about uh Coconut's growth and her kind of queer coming of age story, which I really resonated with. Um, I ended up writing a post on that for Crunchyroll. Um, but yeah, no. Um, after I think like the fifth or sixth episode, I watched week to week, of course. And um, yeah, it was a, it was a fantastic ride from from start to end for me.
2: You bring up There was a lot of good content going around. I really enjoyed uh, your your weekly pieces, Dee. Oh,
3: thank you. Oh yeah, those were those were fantastic. Yeah.
2: Your piece was great as well, uh, Natasha. And uh, Emily wrote some great stuff too. So it was, not only was the series enjoyable, but I could trust that there would be like two to three pieces a week about the series that I could read. And it just made the show that much more enjoyable at the time.
0: Yeah, I really enjoyed reading the, the work that was coming out at that time. Um, like you said, like through through Crunchyroll and then and then through some individual blogs as well. There is, it
1: is one of those shows that has a lot going on in the background without, like like things that are just background stuff you can dig into, but can also enjoy the emotional through line without, but that doesn't mm-hmm. feel like pointlessly pretentious. Like uh, at one point, the cult referring to the, uh, the central, you know, tower of amorphous they've got as, as Asclepius, which is of course the rod of Asclepius, which had to do with the founding of the Hippocratic oath and was also a cult uh, related to like the twinning of healing and, you know, poisonous delusion, which is really interesting like, that kind of stuff, or and just, like, facts, like, okay, okay, we're doing the Evangelion parody episode, because there is always one.
0: <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of nods to other films and, um, and anime and different kind of genre bits, like the, the, the desert world is kind of a Mad Max thing, um, and then, and then the creator kind of gives little homages to those uh, towards the end, because there's, um, in the last episode, when Kokona wakes up in that room, there's uh, like movie posters all over the walls, and there's like a Mad Max, there's a Ben Hur, there's a Sailor Moon, and you're like, oh, this is you going. Here are some things that uh, that inspired me along the way, which was pretty cool too. Nice. Sailor um,
2: yes, yeah, great taste.
0: Yeah, there's I I I always felt like, and I you know obviously I didn't have the didn't have the time to dig into this, but I always felt like you could do an entire series of blog posts just on like every single allusion or reference that gets dropped um throughout the series. But at the same time, none of that is essential, like, to the story. So you can still, you know, you can appreciate that the rabbit is named Uxkill, which I probably butchered the pronunciation of. And um that he came up with a theory of Umwelts, which is like um personal um self-worlds and how the the pure illusion is basically an umwelt and so you can kind of appreciate those illusions and those references um or you can just watch a i I shouldn't say just or you can enjoy a a really sweet story about some girls growing up and going on adventures which is which is nice too um but because of kind of what you were saying with there was a lot of work people could there were a lot of things people could talk about with it um getting putting this putting this uh kind of like my 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 note prompts together for this podcast was tough because there's so many places i kind of feel like we could start um because there's so much going on in the story um this is an anime feminist podcast so we should probably focus on uh the 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 female characters and the more feminist relevant uh elements to that so maybe a good place to start would be uh those early episodes and um was there anything in there that like really stood out to you as like a personal favorite when they were doing the little episodic arcs and um like kind of why that spoke to you it is strange that like
1: i said i binged it i watched it this week which is mostly true but actually i watched the first episode like three months back and i was like this is good I will get back to this. And then I put it down for like a couple of months because those mm-hmm. early episodes are very are very pretty and interesting and promising, but they don't have the hook of what it ultimately becomes. And also, this is an anime that has a problem where it's mostly like a story about, uh, you know, agency and coming of age and making decisions for yourself, even when that's hard. And then also lovingly drawn camel toes in the magical girl transformations.
0: Yeah, yeah. It is not without its problems, and we'll, we'll definitely uh, get into that too.
3: Yeah. I mean, I actually really loved uh, the episodic um, format the show first went for just because um, I felt like that was a very uh, nice and gradual way of getting to know the characters and the kind of abstract world that they interact with. So um, one of the things you guys mentioned is um, – one reason why Flip Flappers is such a fun show to get into is not only the variety of things um, it kind of delves into, but how those concepts are not necessarily tightly intertwined with one another to the point where like it, it feels heavy. Um, and so what I really enjoyed about those first couple of episodes was the different worlds were just com- they were just completely um, different from one another, but um, they, they always had the kind of similar heart of Kokona and uh, Papika's uh, relationship development. Um, so, you know, you could easily find yourself immersed in, in the environments that they um, found themselves in. But you could also um, start to kind of get invested a little more in their relationship, in um, their characters. Specifically, um, Kokona, because she starts off as this very awkward girl. Um, and these episodic, um, these, these first, like, five episodes are a great way for her not to only just slowly, gradually develop into, like, a more relaxed and at-ease character, but you also get a sense of how she kind of views the world around her, including Papika, which um, sets, sets up for the, for the main story arc in the, in the second half. But, um, yeah, I, I, I just, I loved how free those... Uh, those first episodes were
0: yeah and it's um i always i tend to i mean even though i think flip floppers kind of pushes against a lot of genre lines and uh, apparently fun fact the director initially conceived of it as kind of a space opera Uh. um which is not the term i would use to describe it but it's kind of neat that that's where that's where it kind of started from um but i tend to call it kind of a magical girl fairy tale and i think those early episodes really kind of have that feeling of like that kind of episodic um going on an adventure style of like a magical girl story um, and then kind of that same like short sort of concise little fairy tales that kind of give you a little bit of a lesson or teach you something about the characters throughout the episode. Um, and it also kind of gets to drop breadcrumbs in those early episodes that come together to form this, this really interesting picture the further you get into it um, in terms of Kokono's journey and then um, the world at large, which, which I think is, is really nice for those early ones. Um, I think it was around, because like in the second episode, there's that whole thing where they turn into rabbits kind of, or like mm-hmm. anthropomorphic rabbits, and um, there's the whole like chewing on stuff because it feels good, and it's very much painted in kind of a, um, kind of a sexual way, like to the point where it's not, it's not too much of a stretch to say that it's kind of a metaphor for like masturbation. Um, because Papika's like, let's do it. It feels nice. And Kona's like, no, you can't. It's, it's lewd. You shouldn't do that kind of thing. Um, and I remember in episode two being like, okay, either this show is doing something really interesting with like awakening female sexuality, or it's going to turn out to be super creepy. Um, right. And, and, and again, it definitely has some, some flaws and we'll, and we'll kind of, we'll touch on that as we go for sure. Um, in terms of how successful it is along the way, but then I think I think it was around like episode four and five um, between them hanging out on the island, and then the especially like the Yuri Hell episode where they're trapped in that uh, school. Yes, which oh, is such a good episode. So good. Um, yeah, we I definitely want to spend some time on that. But I think that was the moment when I went, okay, no, they are definitely doing a story that's not just about like Kokona kind of coming into her own, like. Now It's not just, like, a standard kind of um, coming-of-age story about, like, you know, um, making your own decisions. It's also very honestly looking at sexual desire as a teen, and especially queer sexual desire as a teen. Um, and so having those little bits dropped along the way was a really kind of... Um, satisfying and exciting way to to tell the story i think and it's one of the reasons i always kind of encourage people like give it give it four to five episodes because it takes a little while to figure out what it's doing but once you know it's really it's very good
1: Um, yeah i I will say the first time i i did kind of twig early on that it that it was that it had some good thoughts in its head was actually that desert episode where Mm -hmm. um where coconut gets kidnapped by that god she had a name doesn't she the succubus um but this, uh, where you know, it's the villainous tempting speech. But mm-hmm. it's not just that; it has this, this deeper subtext that, like, this is somebody who is a clearly a monstrous representation of abusive, violent, villainous queer sexuality, and and t- trying to tempt coconut into, you know, this. You enjoyed this, didn't you? This is what you should be because that's what the majority of media depictions are. So that's where you start out as seeing yourself the first second that you that you have any kind of indication that maybe oh you're attracted to this because she blushes and gets awkward mm-hmm. but then you know that's that's not who she is despite the fact that she's trying that the outside forces are trying to force her into that and that was my first moment of oh, okay show i i'll follow you down on this
0: yeah and she ultimately a,
1: the
2: queen of masks is what she was called yes
0: i think that's is that what she was called I thought that was just a nickname I gave her
2: uh maybe yeah maybe it's your fault I, yeah that i every, every think piece I see on it now has queen of masks that's interesting maybe maybe that was you but uh Before
0: I caught it somewhere and just and didn't realize it but yeah sorry what were you gonna say
2: she was super interesting because she was kind of also like a, a representation of the the young yin shadow mm-hmm. uh which are usually like uh transformative destructive kind of like uh, liminal and usually are closely tied to human sexuality uh and appear as like uh, you know, black figures like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I know there were a couple other things that were, like, really resonating, but if she was kind of, like, uh, Cocona's maybe her, like, darker desires um, or, like, her her more based urges, yeah. and uh, which she automatically, like, you know, she was, uh, well, She they established she was sort of rejecting that aspect of herself for a long time before this, like, this narrative of starting to break down her own barriers mm-hmm. starts in. Uh, which is another interesting part. I really liked the, uh, she's very like defined by barriers early on. Um, I think Nick Creamer was talking about how she was always framed in like windows and things. Mm-hmm. Um, but then she also had barriers where she would push Papika away whenever she tried to touch her because she wasn't comfortable with that. Yeah. Which I mean, some of the barriers are good, some of the barriers are bad. Yeah. Uh, but as she grows closer to uh, Papika, those start to fall down and uh, she grows more accepting of certain aspects of herself. Like I, I with the, the Queen of Masks, I guess, is what we'll just call her. Sure. Unless somebody can, uh, there was sort of an aspect where there was obviously some villainous aspects to her, but I also think that when you consider later on her, the way she was presented to her, um, it, she wasn't like a, a wholly evil. I guess is what I'd want to say.
0: Mm-hmm. Like, for, like at, at, at first, and then, and then she kind of becomes uh, more kind of straightforward villain. I think this is really interesting too, how we we kind of uh, took the character in different from different angles, but still like the ultimate, um, it kind of all boils down to the same kind of destructive uh, concepts. Like, cause I not hadn't, I hadn't thought of um, her in, in those terms before. And I think that's really fascinating. I think I was more, and I didn't know about the Jungian thing. So that's awesome that you brought that up, Peter. Um, cause I saw it, I definitely saw it in kind of a similar way where uh, the queen of masks is kind of this like pure instinct like, well, it feels good, so do it. And who cares what anyone else thinks including the person you're doing it to. Um, which is, you know, definitely, I think, kind of a part of, of growing up and ties a lot into Papika's journey, which a lot of people don't talk about, so I'm going to talk about it real briefly here. Well, I did want to add,
1: like, one more quick um, quick thing, and then, yes, absolutely, we should talk about Papika. But with the Queen of Masks too, like, the fact, I mean, there's the fact that, ooh, S&M, S&M is scary, whatever, mm-hmm. but I-, I think it's interesting that, she, you know, all of her sort of devotees are, you know, masked and gagged because so much of Papika's struggle is someone else make this decision for me. And I remember as a young queer person very much having that fantasy of, oh, if somebody just does this to me, then it's not my fault.
3: Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, that's an interesting point. I think it actually ties in a lot with the whole arc, right? Like, you know, Mm
0: -hmm. what do
3: we consider, like, active choices? Like, in, in letting things happen to us, are we... Do we still in in letting that happen? Do do we have like a responsibility? And I think a lot of the last half of um, Flip Flappers really addresses that with um, Coconuts Awakening uh, or specifically Mimi's Awakening. Um, uh-huh. And you know, we, we don't have to go into the final parts until later. But yeah, it a lot of it's go, going back to that. Like there's a lot of cool stuff that um, you can go back to. Um, when you finished Flip Flappers and those first three or I'd really say five to six episodes really lay out a lot of interesting little tidbits that become a bigger part of the of the story in the second half
0: yeah I agree with that I also uh, the other thing I I really like is how the first half feels very much like coconut kind of figuring out what she wants yeah and then the second half is coconut kind of figuring out how to get that Mm um so, so they, they do end up coming together really nicely, but there does feel very much like there's, there's a direct line halfway through the show, which is partly because they changed uh, lead writers halfway through the show. But, really? Yeah. Um, the first, Interestingly, the first half is written primarily by um, a woman whose name I wrote down somewhere. Um, Ayana Yuniko. And then the second half is written pretty much exclusively by uh, Hayashi Naoki, who is a guy. Huh. Just... Just just, yeah, just, a fun I... fact for the show that I think kind of maybe explains why the um, the first half feels a lot more focused on uh, Kokona's sort of like awakening sexuality and kind of that more um, physical aspect of her relationship with Papika, whereas the second half is framed more in kind of a magical girl love story kind of way that's a little bit more um, innocent, I guess? Because um, uh, I... According to, again, what, there's, a, there's an interview that got translated, uh, thankfully, with the director, and he even mentions that Ayana's, I, Ayana's kind of an experienced hand with Yuri, and so that was very intentionally working those elements into the early half of the, of the series quite a bit. Um, there,
1: there, um, there is a point in the early going where I did just about die. I was crying laughing. Um, I think it was the island episode... Mm-hmm. that um where they where they decide to bunk together and there's a scene like the yonic imagery in those early episodes is off the charts because uh, there's an episode you know in that episode um Papika or coconut goes to stay with Papika who's made her Her, um, you know, her home in the woods. Oh, the tube. (laughs) Who's who's made the tube nice. So she crawls into the tube, parts these gent, you know, parts these big, the hole in the center of these big fluffy pillows, and enters the magical wonderland inside where her gal pal is.
0: (laughs) I died. Oh, man. I did not pick that up. That's, that's pretty great. Um, that's wonderful. No, I I do, I I like Not even realizing that I like a lot of what that episode does in sort of in terms of kind of pushing Papika and Kokono um, towards kind of an understanding with one another. Um, I also think it's kind of an, it's kind of interesting that it sits between the Queen of Masks episode and the Yuri Hell episode because I kind of see those two episodes as almost like extreme ends of the of kind of the. Lesbians depicted in, in anime kind of mode, model, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. And also kind of, like, the extreme ends between, like, instinct and desire versus, like, propriety and, and chastity. Because mm-hmm. you get to that Yuri Hell School, and uh, boy howdy, it is it is kind of a perfect representation of, of everything that's kind of scary about uh, the Yuri genre. Right. The, the fact that they like
1: immediately bleed out and die the second they try to leave the
0: school might be my favorite thing
1: about that episode like cold
3: yeah no episode six i think episode six was like really like the turning point for me where i was just like this is is something like just you know not episode six sorry episode five
0: um the yuri Hell episode episode was just like
3: it was just phenomenal because it 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 really intertwines so many um so many stories we've seen time and time and again, and this and this really creative kind of sphere where, um, you know, it's it's part kind of you know making a point about all these Yuri stories we've we've been accustomed to seeing, but it's also just it's also like a little tongue in cheek about how um, how Coconut feels about herself and her relationship with Papika, um, and then on another hand, it's it's just it's like personally for me it's very hard to create a horror atmosphere um in anime like uh for me i think the last episode where or the last episode of any anime which really felt me like made me feel terrified was um a particular episode in Shinsekai Yori but you really have to mm-hmm. kind of establish the right tone and the right kind of atmosphere to really make someone terrified because it's it's not it's not easy like in and, and there's nothing in episode 5 which has like, um, like exactly scary moments, but that entire oppressive atmosphere where something is just not right. Like you just know something is wrong, and then um, the schoolgirls and, and they're like the laughs. Like everything about it was just incredibly well set up. Um, mm-hmm. Just a very strong episode overall, and obviously a great addition to the um, the development of Coconut's character, but also just more or less like for me it it definitely resonates as someone who grew up kind of feeling different because she was queer but not really understanding the the idea of queerness at the time um mm-hmm. which that that out of that out of feeling sensation where something's not right, is it you? is it someone else like what's going on, et cetera
1: yeah, I think key to what makes that episode so successfully unnerving because you're right, horror anime is so hard to pull off successfully uh but is the the progression wherein eventually Kokona realizes something else, but Papka is still very much under the influence of it. So she's so desperately alone in it and sees that she keeps falling back into it and can't stop.
3: And then there's that that added layer um, where Yayaka is very much or attempting to be in control of herself in that environment. Um, oh, and
1: Yayaka help
3: her! She's she's a fantastic yeah. character. Um, I one of one of my favorite things about. Uh, flip-floppers is honestly Yayaka's development, which we could probably get to a little bit later, but I feel like that's really the starting point when she obviously interacts with Kokona and tells her to kind of get a handle on herself, but, you know, uh, contrast that with later episodes, um, and I feel like episode 5, or Yuri Help episode, does a lot to kind of uh, establish the, the slow background of of Yuyuka, I mean, Yayaka, um, who you, you just know her as a side character at that point, but um, mm-hmm. I feel like that episode just does such a good job of establishing or setting the background for her feelings for coconut um because she she is so um she's so bent on on restraining herself in every way um, to the point where she's she tells Coconut that you need to be in control of yourself like you need to have a better handle on yourself and that for me personally once again resonates with so many people saying like you need to like you know like what you're, whatever you're feeling at the time like if, whatever queer identity you seem to be having needs to be restricted you need to internally hold it um, and so um, I feel like from Yayaka's perspective she seems to be doing coconut favor but obviously that that backlashes later on. Um, when she's forced to make very difficult decisions.
1: You were gonna talk about Poppy Cup before I derailed you D.
0: Oh, it's totally okay. Kokona is uh, also a tremendous character and I definitely wanted to touch on Yuri Hell before we before we bounced into other stuff because I think that's a, a very excellent episode and one of the better um kind of rejections of the Yuri genre that I've that I've seen. So um no, no worries about, about the derailing there. Um, no, I think the, the show does a really, and kind of talking about Yayaka, you know, kind of yelling at Kokona like, you need to get a hold of yourself in this world. I think you're, you're right, Natasha, about how it, it, does kind, it does play into that idea of, um, we'll just tamp, tamp down those, those feelings because you're not supposed to be having them. Um, but at the same time, and this is kind of the, the very delicate balance that I think Flip Flappers does pretty well over the course of the series. Um, at the same time, Kokona and Papika are getting very much sucked into this cycle and this kind of um, the way this world works because it's, it's kind of the allure of, of kind of that class S yuri genre is like, oh, well, I can, I can sort of, I can, how do I put this? I can act on those feelings I have within certain rules. And so for Kokona and Papika, who are at that point are really just kind of starting to figure out how they feel about each other. Um, I think there is kind of a um, what's the word? They're sort of drawn to the sort of safety of that school at first, oh. um, and Yayaka helps kind of snap Kokona out of the fact that, that, and kind of helps her look around and go, "Oh wait, ultimately this is this is kind of meaningless. We're doing the same thing every day. Um, it, it cannot exist outside of these these particular like rules and walls and like this idea of femininity where you like you know you cross stitch and drink tea every day." <laughs> kind of world and so I think the show does um a really nice job balancing like that sense of like instinct and nature and being true to yourself while also being um considerate of others and aware of your surroundings and not letting yourself you know get get like uh pulled along with the flow which is you know Kokona's kind of main main conflict there um which is in in a way my way of kind of shifting a little bit towards Papika because um, I think a lot of people see her as kind of a character who is pretty much fully formed at the beginning of the story and um, I really like the way she moves if Kokona kind of moves from like this world of like well tell me what to do and what should I do to you know here's what I want to do I think Papika kind of moves the other direction and gradually starts to be more considerate of Kokona's needs and and rather than kind of just pushing her own ideas and wants onto kakona like she kind of does in the early episodes when she just drags her along on these missions um by the end she's she's fighting for kakona's freedom not like i want kakona to be with me but like kakona should be able to make her own choices and i think that's i think that's a really nice arc for her as well
1: it's well and it's it gets a little bit sticky once you get into the fact you know once she recovers her memories and then her character very obvious, like, it changes, but it doesn't in certain ways where one would think it would be obvious, like, what mm-hmm. is just gro- the way that she's been growing and what is, I am now remembering this past life, which brings me to the major question that I have, which is seriously twigging, like, how, which seriously affects how am I supposed to read this? <laughs> Were Papika and Mimi dating?
2: <laughs> Papika and Mimi? Yeah. Oh, you mean poppy Papikana, where, back in the day? Uh-huh. Uh, I... I think so. I mean, she was basically the kid's dad.
1: <laughs> because like that is. They
2: had the whole short hair thing going on. Raised the kid together.
1: Well, yeah, like they very obviously like when I was watching those when I was watching those flashbacks, the emotional truth of it to me just means oh well, obviously Salt and Papikana are emo- are both romantically involved with Mimi, and because you know because because Papikana was brave she got a chance to be reborn and meet Kokona and Salt had to atone for what he did which is why which is why I still don't think the show is ruined if if Papika and Mimi were involved because at least once she meets Kokona they are developmentally of an age and mm-hmm. they she's a new person so it's not like creepy in the way that the ending of Kare Kano is where it's like I couldn't date your parents so I'm waiting for you to grow up oh, but awkward. Yeah, yeah but but it's but it still makes the the ending a little bit weird and awkward to me because then it's like, all right, so Papika is supposed to decide, you know, do I want Mimi back or do I do I want Coconut back? And she doesn't decide. <laughs> like she says, she's, mm. and that's weird. That's weird. Are you dating them both now? Well,
3: I, it's it's been a while, so correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but I do remember, um, specifically like I think the the last. Uh, not the last episode, but the, the episode before that, um, where mm-hmm. Yayaka um, kind of confronts uh, Poppy on how she feels about the whole scenario. And she, she kind of, like, mentions that she sees Mimi as a friend, um, mm-hmm. but she uses the specific phrase continuously throughout the series where she's like, I like, 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 like you, coconut," uh, yeah. And
1: die, die, die. Die, speak. die, die speak. Yes.
3: Um, yeah which is, like, very endearing, but, like, you know, in the third episode, mm-hmm. she, like, she's, she really emphasizes it. She's, like, I really, really do really like you. Um, and you never kind of see that emphasis of, um, and even, even verbally, uh, that kind of emphasis on Mimi and, um, and Poppy Guy's relationship. So I think they kind, I mean, it's obviously not, like, definitive, but I, I would argue that nothing in Flip Flappers is truly definitive. Um, it's very kind of all abstract, but within within the scope that is Papika and how she interacts with people, um, the way she interacts with Kokona is very uh, different than anyone else she interacts with. And that includes Mimi and that includes Yairika. Um mm-hmm.
2: And I think we saw a lot of that in uh, the, I can't remember which episode it was, was it Seven, Pure Component, where she splits into the mini Papikas? Yes. That's my
0: favorite episode. The one
2: constant among them were they all loved uh, Coconut. Mm -hmm.
0: Well, there's two constants. There's they all loved Coconut, and they all want her to break rules. Um, They all (laughs) represent some kind of a transgression, which I think says a lot about both of their characters and kind of the the arc of the story, too, Mm because Coconut goes along with all of that, too. Like, she's like, let's cut class. Let's... Um, get into water fights or smash sand because it feels because it's fun. And Kokona's like, "Yeah, let's do it," which she would not have been like two three episodes prior. Mm-hmm. Um, but sorry, Peter, that was a that was kind of a, a side point about the Kokona's kind of overall arc. Um, what were you gonna say about uh, the mini Papikas and how they all love Kokona?
2: Yeah, that their their emphasis was all on Kokona. I know that episode was doing a lot because it I think it was uh, like kind of the counterpoint to Pure Echo, uh, with the Yuri Hell. Uh, kind of building their relationship. Uh, the, I think the transgression part is a, is a really fascinating aspect of it as well. Yeah, and it, it also kind of highlighted the fact that Papi uh, is kind of... Um, I don't really know how to describe her. At that point, she's not like a whole person. Because yeah, in the Yuri Hale episode, she also very quickly gets wrapped up in the the, the routine. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's like wherever they are, she's very susceptible to becoming part of the dream. Um, whereas Kokona has more of a self-identity.
1: Which I guess makes sense since she was reborn in Pure Illusion. Like, that's where her yeah. new self is based. So her arc, I guess we could argue, is finding uh, who, is, who, is she, who does she want to be. Out of uh, infinite possibilities, you have to mm-hmm. pick one.
3: Right. And, I mean, Papika is a very free-spirited individual. And, you know, one of I would say one of Flip Flapper's weak point is kind of never really delving into Papika's side of uh-huh. things, except for, you know, yeah. the flashbacks she has, but um, the, the, the whole the whole twisted scenario of her being, you know, um, kind of, uh, like, the same age as Mimi, but then she, she, you know, she regresses into, like, a child and then has these adventures with Coconut, um, I think are more or less just a way of, um, in, I don't know if I would say second chances, but I believe, you know it ties in with a flip flapper's idea that um, you can never be restricted to one thing and I, I don't mean that like one life or one way but like um, one of the beauty of, um, of flip flappers is the multitude of ways you can really um, look at it right like there, there's so many lenses which you can apply uh, through flip flappers and I feel like that's kind of its whole point it's th- there are, There are multitude of ways you can kind of you know perceive a relationship. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be completely romantic it can it can be intertwined in something else um, but that's never necessarily a bad thing if if you take or you get the most out of it and you shouldn't restrict yourself to certain definitions because abstraction in its, in its own way is is kind of like a freedom that people should embrace not just in art, not just in psychology, but in relationships and identity.
1: Um. But, right. No, yeah, I think that's definitely true and important and, and, and intrinsic to the part of the series, that idea of freedom. And yet at the same time, the show is very definitively hits on that point of, of having them declare their love for each other. Oh, yes which is something a lot I of mean, anime doesn't bother to do, when they're like, it's ambiguous, really just means the straights can read it that they're friends. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> and I think, I think that's, that's precisely why
3: it's so important that they do establish the relationship for each other, because that freedom can be dangerous. It, it allows them to explore other worlds, but it also allows them to be very highly influenced by other people's actions and decisions. Like, um, for example, for Papika, it was Drury Hell, it's, it's the world that she decides to really uh, get involved with. Um, for Kokona, it's, you know, her parents, her, her mother's decisions, um, kind of in, in the same way that, you know, if, if she's free, if she's so abstract, she doesn't have her own identity. So she lets her mom decide things for her. And then for mm-hmm. Yayaka, it's, you know, the, the freedom of, oh, you know, well, I am my own person, But I'm actually really bound by these rules and regulations that I don't um, I don't really want to follow and and have second thoughts about. Um, And so I think there's there's that double-sided sort of freedom that is um, kind of established in foot flappers. It's like you know their freedom is good and freedom is essential for imagination for growth but too much freedom can lead you to being lost and you always you need some kind of guidance, some kind of uh, relationship where it be, you know, like with Yayaka, her, her Coconuts, um, you know, love for uh, Papika. They all kind of culminate in this, this final decision where she is finally able to make her own decisions in life.
2: It's like the Shinji Akari, uh, you can't do anything with a black canvas thing, but once you draw a line on the horizon, you have more boundaries to to imagine yourself in kind of thing
1: yeah except it was actually in the narrative instead of a pretentious textbook lesson in one episode
2: <laughs> uh, uh, yeah that's that's actually another thing i wanted to bring up uh like as part of what we were talking about our experience watching the show because mm-hmm. uh, we were uh, it was coming out the same time as yuri on ice yes it was uh which was obviously much more popular. They
0: competed um, each week to see who could be gayer. It was my favorite thing about the fall season. Was which show <laughs> will be gayer this week? Go! Yeah,
2: but but I I was uh, I mean I'm not surprised that people were rejecting the the gay narrative because of course they were. But yeah. um, the I, I thought that the the end point where because uh, they did a bunch of callbacks like where uh, uh in episode three, uh, Papika said I die 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 ski and then. Uh, Coconut says Dai 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 die, ski" in I think it was episode, was it 11 or 12? Yeah. I think it was the penultimate episode. Mm-hmm. So I felt like uh, they were, they accomplished more with less in regards to that narrative than Yuri on Ice at the time. I couldn't help but compare the two as they were
1: yeah. happening. Well, I mean, in fairness, uh, what's come out afterwards is that uh, Sayo Yamamoto really had to push past censorship restrictions to even get the kiss in. The one kiss, never mind anything else. So there's that factor too. I did not know that. Wow. Yeah, that, that came out recently, I think, in an interview that she did quite recently. Oh wow. Yeah, I, I wrote a piece about it that may or may not be out by the time this has this podcast airs.
0: We'll see. Oh nice. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. It's it's really interesting to me the stuff that you the stuff that you kinda have to push through and the stuff that just goes because like there's a whole scene in that Papika pieces episode where the girls are like lounging around in lingerie and It's like I don't. There's no way you can't read that scene as queer sexuality, Um, and and I guess they were like, yeah, no, it's cool, go with it. Um, I think I think it also has to do with
3: the like director, right? Like uh, being a woman, kind of pushing for for this explicit scene of kissing, whereas like you're a guy, and many scenes have kind of had that kind of uh, pervy sexual content in anime before. Um, so that probably gets a little—it's a little more loose to go through. Whereas, like you know, if you're a woman, you're like, well, I really want these two guys who are in a really romantic relationship to kiss. People are gonna be like, you know, as opposed to like, oh, well, you know, it's about this girl. She goes into this world where it's kind of, kind of sexy, kind of lewd, uh, <laughs> a little, a little BDSM-ish. But you know, it's just—it's just one of those episodes. You, you probably get a lot more leverage and.
1: Um, yeah maybe so Freedom
3: to but, do and that And I
1: mean Coconut and Poppycut never kiss No they don't No that's
0: true But they, they do They do express their love For each other very loudly Oh yeah uh, Which is Yeah which I appreciate Definitely lying around In bed and lingerie together I'm Oh concerned. yeah No yeah um, definitely Yeah I'm, I'm like
3: Yeah
0: It's just this matter
1: of What's okay to imply As loudly as possible But what are these Weird lines That you can't cross Even though Like a kiss would be Far less explicit than Long Like the lingerie scene yeah
3: yeah oh man that that, that that that's probably one of my favorite scenes in flip floppers is just that that w- very like short two minute um kind of ending uh to, to i think it's episode seven um mm-hmm. which is is great actually it's, it's so episode seven i feel is like kind of part a follow-up to episode six is which is when papika and um coconut um enter their classmate. I forgot her name. She's an artist. You know yes. And, and so uh, they kind of go and travel through her memories um, because Ero's grandmother, I think, had Alzheimer's disease. And just... I don't
0: mm-hmm. think she was actually a relative. She called her auntie, but I think she was just like a friendly neighborhood lady. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. And, I mean, there was, there was a lot of interesting implications that her, this aunt was also probably queer. Um, but there's a lot of there's a lot of great stuff in that sixth episode about, you know, creativity, education, identity, um, art. So and then, you know, both both Papika and Kokono come out of that and it's the first time they realize that whatever they've done in in pure illusion has a consequence. It's it's not, you know, just um, it, the the great thing is that they don't it doesn't it's not tailored as good or bad. It's a change, you know, because Eero, mm-hmm. for example, doesn't do art anymore, but she finds herself um, you know, wearing that nail polish, right? She's happier. Um, right. She's happier, she's more opened up to people. So it's a change. I love that Flip doesn't say it's a good or bad change, but it, mm-hmm. it kind of triggers this anxiety and coconut and she kind of yeah. looks into herself, which leads to the seventh episode where mm-hmm. she finally comes to a point where she's like, how do I feel about Papika? Um, like mm-hmm. we've we've been kind of working around the bush. We, you know we've had good times, but how, how do I really feel about her? And and the way it, it kind of um, climaxes into this this final very like emotionally intimate moment between um, I would say succubus uh, Papika and mm-hmm. and Coconut, but. Um, that just there's this very honest question where she's like you know I like you and she's like but do you like love me like you know like not just like friend like cut that bullshit out like do you really like me and
1: mm-hmm.
3: it, it's obviously she never she doesn't express that like, confidence in saying yes that she has to get to that later but it's it's a very prominent question I personally have had you know throughout my my coming of age time where I was like you know, do I really like this person? I see, maybe like, maybe I do perceive them as just like a sister, or like, you know, like, maybe it's because she has tomboyish, you know, uh, qualities that I might like someone like that. Um, but in the end, it, you really have it, that that whole episode really finally establishes, I think, Kokona's uh, feelings uh, for Papika and it's it's just done in such a relatable, well done way.
2: And she didn't really re- reject the act itself uh, so much as I, th- I feel like her objection was the fact that she wasn't really sure if she was the real Papika. Yeah. Um, because uh, I I think, I, I can't remember what, they called her Lustful Demon Papika, right? Was that her name <laughs> in the credits? <laughs> yeah, they gave them all
0: little nicknames at the end. I don't remember which one that one was. Oh, so yeah, weird. she had said,
2: like, is there anything wrong with what we're doing? And then Coconut kind of just, she didn't really say there was anything wrong with it. It's just she didn't feel comfortable doing it with that um I guess creature because she wasn't sure who she was Fragment, um, I so guess, I yeah. I don't know if that would have necessarily meant she would have been willing to do it herself but I don't think she was rejecting the act uh, just as it was so much as her uncertainty over um, Papika
0: herself real Papika mm-hmm. yeah yeah which Papika yeah. Am, I, am I hanging out with right now kind of, kind of thing so mm-hmm. uh, and that's such which, a that's it's such a nice moment of
1: relatively restrained exploration of what teen sexuality means. Mm -hmm. It's just not always consistent across the series.
0: No. And actually that that's kind of a nice way to kind of dovetail into, um, you know, I think Peter and I both named it our problematic fave of 2016. And, um, I always, I always, I tend to describe it as flawed, but ambitious. Um, and so I think there are some definite kind of problems with it that we can talk about. And one of them is that, that very, careful line that and you know i give them a lot of credit for attempting to walk it because i think it is very important that we have stories that teenagers can look at that um openly and honestly discuss awakening sexuality um and especially queer sexuality because like natasha was saying this series really resonates with her because it matches a lot of her own experiences and i think that's really good and really important but it's also very you have to be very careful because at a certain point it stops being an exploration of sexuality and starts being sexualization. Um, did anybody else kind of find with the show that, that there were times when it, when it seemed like they were maybe trying and failed? I mean, I think um, it's very interesting to me that I think as
1: far as terms and overtness of declarations of love, this show is essentially to me a more successful version of what Yurikuma Arashi was trying to do on that specific front. Like mm-hmm. D you and I fell into like this deep, deep hole of discussion on whether like Papika referring to Mimi as, as her partner using the loan word, what that meant specifically mm-hmm. about how she felt about her and like that. And the fact that she never calls Kokona her friend, she just says that she loves her mm-hmm. and like stuff like that of when are terms platonic, when are they romantic, when are they used to disguise Or to obfuscate or or to uh deflect you know romantic or platonic feeling like all the levels of that i think this show plays with pretty effectively Uh, but then also again camel toes
0: yeah or the moment that always that always kind of sticks out to me is um uh, the episode where they're on that island together and um there's a lot done in that episode in terms of using, like, nudity or clothing to kind of talk about where the characters are in their lives. Like, Papika sleeps in the buff, and um, she's, you know, more of an instinctive character, very close to nature, whereas uh, Kokono's very, like, worried about propriety and doesn't even want, you know, Papika to, like, peek around the corner of the bath when they're taking that shower together. Um, and I think a lot of that is done very well to kind of talk about their characters in the show's kind of... Um, interaction between um, nature and society, or uh, instinct and uh, propriety—however you want to frame that—but um, then halfway through the damn, or like one at one point in the damn episode, um, for there's like there's like a pan up shot of Kokona taking a shower, and I'm like, that was—you didn't need that. You you, mm-hmm. got, you got the point across. That just comes across as—I'm I'm, even—I'm almost hesitant to even call it fan service because it. Feels like it was supposed to be part of the theme and tone that they were working with, and they just failed.
1: It's, it's <laughs> tough
0: because there, I feel like episode eight is really where, um,
3: like, that issue comes comes into play.
0: Yeah, the giant robot episode yeah. where they're in swimsuits.
1: Oh, like, yeah. And just, like, the crotch-level shot of them and the—of of, Pupka and the robot. Yeah. Yeah,
0: which yeah. almost feels like it's supposed—like, some of the butt shots in that almost feel like they're supposed to be funny. Like, oh, they're crammed in these tight little spaces. Um, here's some goofy shots of them crammed in there. But they're wearing—but because they're wearing those swimsuits, it's—yeah. Yeah, yeah it's no, really I mean, it's-
2: That was done by another studio, too, I believe, um— and I, I can't remember if they said the the director for those episodes is pretty well known for being horny.
3: Yeah, I remember that a bunch of young animators worked on episode 8. And that uh, they you could obviously tell that they were feeling a little more impulsive to do certain types of shots. Um, which which is unfortunate because I honestly feel like Flip Flappers, for the most part, does a pretty good job of staying away from you know um sexualizing minors um which sounds like such a weird and awful thing to say but in the scope of anime is very uh normal yeah. right um but yeah episode eight like you said episode four definitely there are definitely moments kind of scattered across and it's it's mm-hmm. enough for me to like it's probably because the show is so good at staying within its own boundaries that those moments when they do come kind of feel like little twitches or irritations, like
1: um, yeah. that,
3: make them stand out all the more. Then, mm-hmm. I mean, episode eight is like very overt. Like, episode eight is just, yeah, like I, I, I do really like some parts of episode eight, like you know, Yayaka mm-hmm. getting together with Coconut and Poppy Gun making the, the, the robot transform. That's you know, it's yeah. fantastic, exactly. It's great, but then, like, you have Yay. shots like this, and then you're just like, ah, oh, it, it throws off the balance so definitely a very valid complaint i have with the show which once again i feel is kind of unavoidable when when the show is or at least to a point kind of dominated by uh men who write the show animating the show directing the show um but i would definitely say and i mean I guess you could say this is a valid comparison but compared to many, many other shows that tackle these same kind of themes or try to in some way or the other, the the fan service is... It's more of a mild irritation than, like, an active issue I had throughout the show.
0: Yeah, no, I I agree with that. And it's one of those, again, it's one of those where I kind of, I tell people, I'm like, I get it if it's a deal breaker, but I really hope you can push through it because there's a lot of really good stuff in here. And it just happens to have these really kind of jarring moments and um, actually, the giant robot episode is a good place to to bounce this from too, because that one's kind of from within uh, Bu Chan's perspective, and I think uh, Bu Chan is also uh, yeah. sort of a
3: <laughs> Bu Chan,
0: yeah. our favorite Kill it. rise grown um, Bu Chan, and then and then Yunu, I think, are also maybe sort of the glaring why does she exist? kind of why moments in the in the series is their sort of purpose in the story.
1: I mean, Nunu exists for that one episode to make Yayaka feel fre- threatened and get her back in line and then is completely useless to the plot but continues to exist.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's Yeah, she's
2: like a narrative device that had a bikini on for the rest of the yeah. show for some reason. Mm-hmm.
3: It, it makes me wonder a lot of these things like, you know, um Papika being like, you know, Kokona's, like pseudo mom, I guess. Um and like, you know, all of these all of these small things make me wonder if and I need to go back because I actually have uh, the Blu-rays, and I there are some notes oh, in there nice. which I can't read because I don't know Japanese. Uh, but <laughs> I, I would be very curious to see if this ties into the fact that there was a writer um, that whose who's name I cannot remember, but that female writer who was on Ayana.
0: Yeah.
3: Oh, say mm-hmm. her name one more time. Sorry.
0: Um, it's uh, her last name's Ayana. Her first name Unico. I believe Unico. is Unico. Okay. Yeah. So mm-hmm. Ayana.
3: Um, was on board for like I think seven episodes and then she left and no one knows why but I feel like that and the kind of production side of Flip Flappers may have led to this problem where there were a lot of interesting ideas they wanted to use but maybe they couldn't use and that's why they ended up being kind of stuck in the end and um, they're kind of there and you're just like why? Like why are you here? Like, Like I'm sure you had a like a greater purpose, but for some reason you kind of got shafted and kind of just got tailored yeah. in the end. The,
0: the best explanation I can come up with is um, because the series is like in previous episodes, it has shown that it's kind of playing with like the magical girl genre and like kind of the 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 Yuri genre, and so. I think you can kind of see Buchan with his like eyeball zooming in and like looking at people's skirts and crap. I think you can maybe kind of see him as like sort of a meta joke on like the textbook male gaze. Oh yeah. Um, and then and then the fact that he keeps he gets like exploded and stepped on and beat up like every single episode is is kind of satisfying. Um, but he's still like but he's still an unpleasant character for the most part. Yeah, and he's then... also
1: the closest the the show comes to making like shitty trans jokes, and I hate it. Oh yeah, because
0: oh, it, you're in Yuri Hell. In Yuri Hell. Yeah, oh. I hate yeah, when yeah. Kinda, that when he kind of gets pulled into it. Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: yeah. I that was the one moment of the show that I found like honest. Like the fan service stuff is irritating, but that was the one joke in the show. Where I was like, I find this honestly unpleasant. Yeah,
3: yeah. No, I mean, Boo Boo is definitely a character that I don't know. Like it just. I think that episode eight is kind of, like, on one hand, it's really interesting to look through Boo's perspective and, and, mm-hmm. and that kind of, the scientist's perspective, but then on the other hand, it's like all of this unnecessary, like, overt fan service, sexualization, that just kind of throws, once again, once again the show off balance, and um, it, it kind of... Because it, the, one of the great things I love about flip Flappers is how easy it is to get immersed in the environment, the world, the characters, um, mm-hmm. and, like, you just dive in with them, and, and it's a great, great sense of direction, but then it's precisely these moments that jerk you out, and it makes it makes the ride a little rocky, and, um, yeah, once again, the, like, I, I honestly feel more or less that it's it's more of, like, a production issue, where... Uh, mm-hmm. They had these ideas for these characters, but it just—they never ended up going anywhere.
0: Yeah, it does feel like they maybe had a little too much for um, twelve episodes, and especially with the side characters. Um, it is—I will say though—it is—it is—it's almost worth it when uh, Nunu, who's kind of just like the useless MoE character who's not wearing pants, uh, gets to shoot BuChan in the head. That's pretty oh. great. It's amazing. almost worth it. It's not quite. Like, I still think you could remove those two characters, and you would lose nothing from Flip Flappers. Like, I do not think they really, they feel like they kind of just fell in. Um, but that one scene, I was like, okay, you know what? That was pretty great. That that's that's how their, their little, like, spontaneous friendship ends, is he's grabby, and she just shoots him in the face. Um, so that was... Kind of a good touch we are coming up on an hour um it would be nice to um i think end maybe on a more upbeat note so is there anything <laughs> we haven't talked about yet that you guys really want to um examples being we haven't really said we haven't really talked much about mimi um i know ryan know yayaka is near and dear to your heart um, someone help this garbage child i love her hey, yayaka yeah she's
2: my favorite character
1: She's, she's just so good. I mean I just uh, oh. and I love I love the imagery when they're um when they're in sort of the void space where Kokona's, Kokona's barrier is living, it's webs, it's mutable, and um Yayaka's is glass or ice and she shatters mm. and it hurts me. She's just so repressed and fragile, and then she. But but she ends up inheriting uh, y- Yukuk's skill at the end, so with with the sort of implication that she too can find her own inner space and know who she is. And I just love her.
2: Yeah, Pyramid is probably my favorite episode. I, I I loved the the dual prison thing where Coconut kind of escapes by calling out to uh, Papika and she tries to kind of destroy her. Uh, feelings for Kokona mm-hmm. to escape from the prison that, like her own psychic prison that she's created for herself, um, but of course that doesn't work. And the the whole scene where she's gonna steal the amorphous from Kokona is kind of a, I, I'm pretty sure it's supposed to be kind of a rape allegory. Um, and then she withdraws at the last second. I like everything about that episode was, like, uh, that was probably like the peak for the the show for me.
0: It's it's very intense for sure. Yeah, and Yayaka's journey is unique, but but at the same time kind of similar to the, like, every character, it kind of ties back into the same kind of ideas, which is, you know, good thematic work, because um, she and Kokona are both kind of afraid of making choices, but, um, whereas for Kokona, it's more about, like, just kind of a general fear of mistakes. For Yayaka, it's very specifically a, if I don't do this, I won't have a place anymore, um, and that's very sad, and, um, I mean, speaking kind of from that element of of the show exploring kind of queer sexuality i think it it speaks to to a lot of uh people who are you know afraid to acknowledge those feelings or come out because of the fear that you know the people they they live with maybe won't accept them anymore and so that's yeah yayaka's journey is very emotional and yeah
1: yeah because i mean yayaka knows how she feels about coconut she just can't admit it or do anything about it because then she loses everything. She loses her place. She loses Coconut because Coconut loves somebody else. It's so
0: sad. It really is. But she, but she, but she comes around. She, uh, she acknowledges her feelings and, um, even gets a transformation sequence. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that was the best. That was the best. um, No, her, her little, her little brief, uh, experience with the Queen of Masks is really nice there at the end um, when she's kind of like buzz off. Um, really enjoy that too which okay i don't even care if we run late we haven't had a chance to talk about mimi and i feel like we should talk about mimi because we really haven't discussed the last half of the show um so we're just Mm. gonna run late and and it's gonna gonna be a long episode enjoy it's gonna be great don't worry about it just just take a break if you need to and you can come back just pause it it's all good um i i really like mimi i think i think her episodes are probably the messiest part of the show i think the early episodes are a lot tighter um But I really like what they did with her character, Um, especially kind of retroactively, because um, when you find out that she is all of the fragments, then that kind of means that she's been both helping and hindering the girls, like, from day one, basically. Yeah, yeah, in the same way
2: that you kind of find out that uh, the... um... The worlds that they've been going to are different, like, uh, the different psychologies of the different characters in the show in Mm -hmm. retrospect. uh, It's like Mimi's present in all of those places as well. And she's both,
0: via the the fragments that both Kokona and Papika have that help them transform, and then the fragments that they keep having to fight, she is simultaneously this character who wants to support them and who wants to kind of stop them and, and lash out. And I really like her because I think they were sort of building up to her with uh, the Iroha episode and then with the, the papises, as I like to call them, um, in terms of the concept of like people kind of having fragmentary personalities, and with Mimi that is like very literally the case. Well, no, it said, I, feel, I really like that flashback episode because like,
1: aside of one or two things that weird me out about it, like I, I very strongly feel that the show should have hammered a little harder on how how or if Papika's feelings changed to like acknowledging that this is the past and I'm putting the past behind me I still love you but I've chosen Coconut and mm-hmm. I think it leans towards that but doesn't like definitively hammer on it mm-hmm. but but also the actual flashback is so satisfying like I spent I, it genuinely got me where I spent like half the episode being like alright what's Salt's deal and then like like half an episode before it told me it 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 clicked in a very satisfying way mm-hmm. and all of a sudden it felt deliberately planned in a way that I think a lot of shows can't pull off without being super obvious.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that for sure. Um I really one thing I really like about just again kind of because this this is this is a feminist podcast. Um I like how Mimi the way they sort of move from Mimi to Kokona in terms of um mimi is trapped in this room that's very like rigid kind of forced femininity it's all pinks and ruffles and and no one's really and like she's very much controlled by this like male-oriented organization and then at a certain point when they you know essentially try to take everything from her as punishment for rebelling um she just loses it and um I've always kind of seen Mimi as kind of this really, because again, I, I see the series mostly because the ending credits uh, have all that fairy tale imagery in them. I see a lot of kind of fairy tale elements to the series itself, and I like that Mimi ends up being uh, like simultaneously like the maiden character, the mother character, and the witch character, and then and then kind of um, how that sort of uh, leads into uh, Kokona's story where she has more freedom than her mom does and her mom kind of simultaneously represents like a lot of different elements of the older generation in terms of you know she simultaneously wants kokona to have that freedom and that agency and kind of empowers her with that gem that's embedded within her um, but at the same time she also you know wants she's also that that parent figure who kind of ends up going along with the world that she was raised in and, and, and thinks that the younger generation also needs to be controlled and that so that that conflict between the two sides of Mimi um I think is is really compelling and um again kind of speaks to the fact that all of these characters are female characters and even though the show doesn't directly talk about like you know well you're a girl so da 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 I think those social elements are kind of built into it which are really interesting to me
1: for sure it it is nice sorry I um Go
3: on, um, the, um, oh, no, 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 please, because we're just next. I'm agreeing with her. I, I thought. <laughs> I think. I think what she, the point she brought up, were excellent. Especially, I mean, it's it's hard to say this because I don't think, at least I have not watched, um, a lot of animes that wa- that kind of focus on motherhood or mother characters, um, mm-hmm. and you could you can argue to a very good extent that maybe. Um, isn't really so much of a mother as she is a child confined by her own fears and her own anxieties. Um, Mm -hmm. But I I really do enjoy that kind of uh, backstory as um, kind of just Mimi wanting to make her own responsibilities or have her own responsibilities as a mother. Um, Kind of, uh, you know, and I can speak as, once again, kind of from a personal standpoint, but, you know much of her conflict with coconut is not just you know um, like this is this is my daughter and I kind of see her as in a way of my own property because I've wanted her for so long and um, like you know this, now I get to have her I get to spend time with her but um, it's more or less like well coconut is is someone who loves Papika and she doesn't agree, she doesn't approve of it she, she wants coconut to be molded in the image of what she wants, and I think that is such a good topic because many times parenting um, is—it's not something that's taught to you, um, and mm-hmm. so many times we can always mistake um, our, ch- our ch- children's intentions as good or bad, but we try to give them the best or make them happy in what we think happiness is. And I think Flip Flappers does a really good job of doing that. It doesn't just make her into this monster or this, just this like mm-hmm. tragic confined mother. Mimi really does love Kokona, but she loves yeah. her in the way that she thinks Kokona's happiness should be like, um, right. which is yeah. a very important distinction that I feel is very hard to see in anime, and it's especially hard to see in anime that tries to tackle with queer identity and queer um, coming-of-age stories.
2: Yeah, and they also, uh, they kind of mirrored uh, her, uh, or coconut's encounter with the, the Queen of Masks with uh, Mimi as well, where she meets her own shadow. Um, oh, yes. Yeah, oh, right, yeah. And of course, yeah. it, it goes very differently, yeah, where her own shadow kind of emerges and she uh, gives up her own control
0: mm-hmm. uh,
2: because the shadow promises that c- it can protect Coconut. Yeah, she
0: kind of gives into those sort of base instinctual urges of... Keep the child safe, and nothing else matters. Kind of idea there,
2: um, yeah. Which is why it was it's... also super Jungian, too with uh, the the different aspects of the mother, which is it's it is almost like textbook, really. Uh, both nurturing, uh, but the the negative side is you can be too controlling. Mm-hmm. Like definitely saw a lot of influences there.
0: Yeah, for sure. And it's and so it's it's really I mean, uh, kind of like Natasha was saying, like she's not painted as just like a textbook like villain who needs to be defeated. She's more she's a bunch of different fragments who. Um, they have to kind of convince. And part of that is fighting, like, parts of them, but then at the same time they're being helped by other parts of Mimi, and then other parts are kind of standing to the side. Um, and so it's, it's really nice that it, the series doesn't just have the girls, like, you know, kill the parents and, and run off. It's the... Mimi does... She eventually does realize, like, she's like, oh, no, this is what Kokona wants, and ultimately, to be a good mother, I have to be willing to let her make her own choices.
1: Well, and at the, and at the same time... You know, she, she she recaptures her ability to be what she always knew she wanted to be as a mother, but also she becomes a person again, because when she mm-hmm. accepts her shadow, she's just Kokona's mother, and she's not Mimi anymore, really. Uh, you know, point. she loses self-identity in, in that mm-hmm. in that harsh, uh, consuming role of motherhood that I think is somewhat expected to a degree. Like, you're not an individual person anymore once you have a child. You give everything for the child. Like, even... I think you know something like wolf children. You are no longer a person. You are beneficent and self-sacrificing, and you do it for your children. Your life is over now, yeah. and and she gets to reclaim herself with their help. Sorry, you were
0: saying? No, that's a that's a really good way of looking at it too. I like mm-hmm. that. Um, again, I, I like that. I like that the the fragmentary nature of perspective and personality is so deeply baked into the show that there's a lot of different ways you can look at pretty much every episode and character, and they're all still functionally the same. Um, Like, I think that Papisa's episode is a really good example, too, because you can look at it as Kokona kind of trying to figure out how she feels about Papika, and you can also look at it as Papika trying to figure out, like, what version of herself she wants to be um, uh, and, like, how she wants to make Kokona happy, because that's important to her. Um, So And and so you see that, again, with, with Mimi here, where you have these different fragments of her and so she can uh you know kind of reclaim these different uh, aspects of herself and become kind of a whole person by the time the series is over which is just just a nice ending i was very uh, the ending was definitely kind of messy i think but um i was sort of cheering and and very and smiling and very happy by the end of it which i i, I think is a uh a success on the show's part
1: I think that last second feint to, oh no, the magic is gone. Eh, they don't have, they don't have quite enough air time for it to really stick because there's so much time left in the episode. There, there's so little time left in the episode that it's obviously a fake,
0: mm-hmm. but
1: it's it's those it, last yeah. couple seconds are
0: It's definitely, the sweet. ending is, is kind of rushed, but what I do kind of like about it is it calls back to some of the other episodes where Kokona gets lost, um, but in this situation, she never gives up. Like, in the, in the world with the many mm. Papikas, she kind of gets lost and can't find the people she cares about, and she ends up just sort of, like, sitting down on the edge of a bank, and then, like, this hole of depression just swallows her, and Papika has to come rescue her. And in this final world, she keeps searching, and she never gives up, and then Papika does help find her. And so I, like, again, as rushed as that, like, magicless world is, I did sort of like the idea that Kokona as a character, that it kind of put a capstone on her arc in terms of, like, She's still gonna make mistakes and get lost and not, you know, not, she's not a perfect human being. None of us are. Um, mm-hmm. But she's not going to give up and she has someone who cares about her and is gonna keep looking for her as well. Um, so, yeah. as it, it definitely could have done with some more screen time, I think, but I really liked the ideas behind it. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: It is just, it's, it's nice and it's warm fuzzies and I do love that ending credit sequence. It's one of the only anime where I watched the ending every time it's so beautiful.
0: It is lovely. It's actually kind of neat too um and I could definitely be overthinking this, but um I think that the ending credits sort of parallels Kokona and Papika's journey um in terms of like some of the different imagery they use like around the time when Mimi kind of starts to show up there's like this like clawing hand reaching out for Kokona and then at the end there's like a swan that flies off into the distance and it's kind of like Mimi being freed. It's great. I think that you could probably write an, an essay about that too. But um, it's also possible that I just watched the show so much that I way <laughs> way overthought some of this. Um, I also really like fairy tales, so that's probably part of it too.
1: It's definitely like it's not hitting on it as hard as Princess Tutu or Utana, but those themes are definitely strongly in there.
3: Mhm. Yeah. No. I'm. I. It's. It's that that final conflict and that final resolution. Just especially. Of course, you know the butterfly wings part metaphor. But um, Emily, uh, also known as AJ the Fourth, wrote this really interesting post on um, this painting that appears uh, consistently throughout Flip Flappers. I think it's it's done or done as in painted by the previous hero um, and. Um, it kind of ties into the the ending where you know um, where Mimi is lying in this pool and, and she's mm-hmm. kind of coming to terms with you know have I made mistakes, who am i like you know pop, like in terms of coconut's development growth um like where do I find redemption and um it all obviously ties into that that whole aspect of, you know, you should accept yourself for who you are and, you know, your flaws and everything. But um, it's it's just this really nice moment. And, you know, a lot of people give complaints about how Mimi or the second half of Flip Floppers is definitely messier um, than the first half. But um, I can't once again emphasize um, how unique it was or how important it was to watch a show that tackles um, queer characters both on the side of that character growing up and and the parents having to, or be parent having to kind of understand or come to terms with it and um, mm-hmm. it was just very refreshing not only to have uh, Mimi embody um, kind of coconut's fears and anxieties I, I wrote a post on how Mimi in, in a way or the Mimi we see is not necessarily just you know the Mimi flashbacks we we are exposed to but also in part um, Coconuts' anxieties and um, fears when she feels like she's been betrayed by everyone she knows um, mm-hmm. but um, so in, in a way you could argue that Mimi is kind of like the psychological um, aspect of Coconut where a, a betrayal of, of fear of um, once again regression and, and mm-hmm. kind of returning to the shell um, but it also does such a good job of you know tackling motherhood in in a really and once again, as you brought up like you know within the confines of society of how mothers are supposed to act, how they're supposed to raise their children, what they think into what they think is best um and and the, the ending of full Flatters is satisfying because um, it gives coconut ending it gives um copy gun ending and it gives Mimi a resolute ending and I really really love that because so many shows just kind of you know shift uh, endings for antagonist like ish characters into like oh they either died or they're no longer there but Mimi is obviously you know going to be there she's going to be a part Mm -hmm. of Kokona's life and that's that's very powerful and enriching in a way
0: um, that's probably a pretty good place to stop. Actually, that would that 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 last line of Natasha's would probably be a good a good place for us to to cut that and then bounce to the outro here. Um, unless, is there anything anyone else want to talk about? I know we didn't get a chance to talk about Salt, um, who ends up being a surprisingly good character. Um, right. Um, or, or, like, some of the, the stuff with, like, Asclepius and the, and the twins and stuff, um, did, did we want to, we've already gone over, we might as well go, go all in. Did, did we want to touch on any of that before we, before we wrap it up, or should I, uh... I, don't
1: I don't know, I, don't know. I, I think, I think I'm tapped out of deep thoughts. Yeah, I, <laughs> that's totally
0: fair. I, the,
3: the, the great thing about Flip Floppers is that there's so much to talk about, but the bad thing about Flip Floppers is that there's so much
0: to talk about. Oh. Yeah, as we were as we were getting into this, I, I checked the time at one point, point. I was like, oh man, we're still talking about Kokona, and we're like 30 minutes in. I was like, well, <laughs> this one's gonna go long.
1: It's a long um, one. It's fine.
0: But I think that's okay. And you know what, dear listeners? If you're really craving more Flip Flappers content, I have 12 essays on it. Natasha has two or three? Yeah, I think I've got like yeah. three,
3: three uh, posts on it.
0: Natasha has three, and Peter has another pair on Crunchyroll, and maybe a third one eventually. Who knows? Um so you have plenty of options for more um and i know i know we we discuss other things in those as well so um there's there's always more flip flapper writing and also like um like both peter and natasha mentioned uh, emily aj the fourth on twitter has written some really good uh, flip flappers essays as well so check those out if you get the chance um okay i think that's gonna do it for us everyone we hope you've enjoyed this episode of chatty af uh, we were definitely chatty AF, so uh, truth in advertising there. Um, if you like what you heard, uh, tell your friends. And if you really liked what you heard, consider tossing a dollar or more to our Patreon each month. Um, your support really does go a long way towards making Anime feminist happen, both in print and in your earbuds. If you're interested in more from the team and our contributors, please check us out at www.animefeminist.com, on Facebook at Anime Fem, on Tumblr at animefeminist and on Twitter at animefeminist and that's all i got thanks for listening any fam and we will catch you next week